Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. I would like for you to turn, if you would, to two openings of Scripture. I'm starting a new series this morning. Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. Luke chapter 24 and Acts chapter 1. I'm firmly believing that God is going to speak to you this morning. Amen. I said I'm firmly believing that God is going to speak to you this morning. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for those random amens. Thank you. No, I say that and I and I egg you on because I want you to I want you to expect with me this morning as well. Because I firmly believe and I firmly expect that God's gonna minister to your heart today and speak something to you. No matter where you come from, no matter what the background of your life is, God's gonna speak to you this morning. Luke chapter twenty four, verse forty nine, Acts chapter one. I think it's important to note as we read these scriptures that the author, or the, the transcriber, if you will, of the book of Luke, Luke, the physician, he was a, he was a, a physician, and he, he wrote down Luke, and he also wrote down the book of Acts. And I say that to say that um, it's, it's maybe helpful for us to understand who Luke was, because he wrote, he wrote this gospel, he, he received this gospel Uh, that we call the book of Luke by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he wrote it down in such a way because of who he is or who he was. He was a physician. So he was an intellectual person. If you read the book of Luke versus the other gospels, you'll find out that Luke was a very detail-oriented person. That everything that he wrote down, he wrote down with precision and with purpose. And it's interesting to me that God chose him Out of the other writers, the other three writers of the gospel, Matthew, Mark, and John, God chose Luke to continue writing in the book of Acts. He wrote all the things in the book of Luke that he observed in Jesus' ministry, and then he continued part two, which we know as the book of Acts, which was a detailed description of all that the Holy Spirit did through the apostles' ministry after Jesus uh, you know, ascended back into heaven. I think it's interesting and important to note these things because it gives us a little bit of context for what we're going to read. Luke chapter 24, and we'll begin reading in verse 49. Luke 24, verse 49. It says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry, means wait, tarry in the city of Jerusalem, until you are endued with power from on high. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. Acts chapter 1. Keep your finger in both of these verses. We're going to be returning to them frequently. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus is speaking again. This is a different different, uh, occurrence. This is several weeks later. 
He's talking with the disciples again now in the book of Acts. And he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Starting a new series today. It's called Power from Above. Power from Above. You know, if we're going to be the church that God has called us to be, we're going to do it with some power from above. What did Jesus say in Luke 24? He said that he wanted us to, he wanted those disciples to tarry in Jerusalem, wait in Jerusalem until they were clothed or they were endued with power from above. God's got some things he wants to do in your life. He's not going to do them through conventional means. He's not going to do them just with your head smarts. He wants to do some things in your life, and the way he's going to do them is from is with power from above. Amen. How many of you have faced a challenge or a situation in your life? Maybe, maybe I'll ask it this way. How many of you are facing something right now, and, you would, and you're just okay? You're like, I want to raise a hand. Yeah. How many of you are facing something right now in your life? I see these hands. Can I tell you that the, the answer to those things is not going to come just because we think, uh, you know, because we're real super smart, because we're, because we're really well-resourced. The challenges that we face in life oftentimes go outside of and beyond our ability to fix them on our own. If you were as smart as you think you are and as powerful as you think you are, you wouldn't need Jesus anyway. Amen. If you were as well-resourced as you think you are, you wouldn't need the Holy Spirit. Yet somehow we still face issues and challenges in our lives. We still get to the end of our rope at times and we go, how did I get here? And it's in those moments that we need power from above, that we need power that goes beyond our own abilities and beyond our own five senses and beyond our own influence and resource. If you've ever been in a situation where you're at the end of your rope, you need some power from above. Amen. Now we're going to spend several weeks talking about this concept, and I'm, oh, I'm, I so believe that it's going to impact you in a strong way. Amen. Let's bow our heads for just a moment of prayer, and then we'll continue. Father, I ask you today that you would grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and knowledge, that you would grant us a spirit of revelation, of insight that God as we open up your scriptures today that we would see with a clarity that we've never seen before Lord I'm praying that as we uncover these scriptures that you administer deeply to our hearts and provoke us to receive greater things from you we give you the praise and the thanksgiving for these things in the mighty name of Jesus let everyone say amen and amen Power from above. I, I grew up, I was born in Niagara Falls, New York. Some of you who have heard me preach know that that's where I come from. I spent the first several years of my life growing up there. My, uh, my younger years, my elementary years were spent in, in western New York. And it wasn't until later on that we moved to Florida but during those early years, um, 
I attended several different schools. I went to some uh, pri- private Christian school. And one of the places that we would take field trips when I was a kid is, is to a place called the, the Niagara Falls, the New York Power Vista. It's part of the New York or Niagara Falls Power Authority for the state of New York. And what it is, if you've never been to that part of the country, um, what it is is a, is a massive power plant that is essentially built into the side of a cliff. Uh, what happens is the, the, the water flows down the Niagara River from Lake Erie. After it goes over the cascades of the Niagara Falls, it flows into what's referred to as the lower river. And there's so much water, there's such an incredible amount of force. How many of you have actually ever been to Niagara Falls? I want to see how many of you. Okay, awesome. Nobody on this side of the room, uh, everybody on this side. There's one or two of you that uh, y'all need to take some vacations, okay? Um, we, used to, we used to live, I mean, I, I lived about a, a, maybe a 15-minute bike ride from, from the falls themselves, and, and I can remember just going there all the time as, as a kid. In fact, I got so, I got so like, casual about them that I just, I kind of started hating the Niagara Falls as a young person. Because I'd been there so many times, and you know, anytime there's a, a guest in town, a visitor, or anytime this mom and dad were, were pastors of a church, anytime there was a guest minister, uh, let me guess where we're going. <laughs> oh, oh, do we get to go stand next to the falls again? I, I kind of grew up hating the falls a little bit. It wasn't until I moved away that I started to appreciate how incredibly epic Niagara Falls actually is. Billions and billions of gallons flow over the edge of that waterfall every single day. And the amount of force that is created, the, da- the gravity and the downward force of that water that's created after it goes over creates so much kinetic energy that a guy named Nikola Tesla, who was a, a famous uh, you know, scientist years and years ago, understood that, hey, we can harness that kinetic energy and we can turn it into uh, electricity. And so the New York Power Vista, the power plant was formed. And if you go to the lower river today on the side of this cliff, you can see a big concrete structures going down into the water. And, you, and, and that is where uh, the New York Power Authority is located. And they take in so much water every single day and turn it into electricity. It was the, one of the world's first hydroelectric power plants. And I did some research on it. I found out it powers 25% of the state of New York and Ontario across the river in Canada. That encompasses two of the biggest cities in the eastern side of the United States, Toronto in Canada and New York City. 8.5 million people are dependent on that power for their lives. Without a power plant, that part of the eastern side of the United States wouldn't receive power. I can remember... I was in Niagara Falls on September 11th, 2001. And the border shut down immediately because it was presumed that that power plant might be one of the next targets for a terrorist attack should that happen. I was there, so I was a little nervous. Why do I, t- why do I mention this? Because God has placed within the body of Christ a power plant so significant so substantial, so powerful that it can, he can produce enough power to sustain the world. Amen. His name is the Holy Spirit. 
And he, he has been placed within the body of Christ. And guess what? Even more so, he's been placed within you if you're a believer this morning. Hallelujah. How many of you are glad for the power plant known as the Holy Spirit down on the inside of you this morning? Can I tell you something? We don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit in church. There there are Christians, I'm coming to learn this as a pastor. There are Christians who are hungry to understand more about the Holy Spirit. There are people who are ignorant of his power. There are people who are ignorant of his ability. There are people everywhere who are ignorant of the, of the third person in the Godhead, the third member of the Trinity. And they may go their whole Christian experience and never understand how valuable the person of the Holy Spirit is to us as believers. I'm going to talk to you for the next several weeks about power from above. Where does that power come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? I just mentioned this a moment ago. He's part of the Trinity. The word Trinity does not appear in Scripture. It's a word that we have assigned to describe the, the, what the Bible calls the Godhead. So the word Godhead appears in Scripture. The word Trinity does not, but they're both referencing the same thing. That is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. If you grew up like my mom in Catholic Church, nomini patri, fili, spiritu santu, amen. Anybody speak Latin? <laughs> no, we, we grow up from a time that we're kids perhaps learning about or hearing about Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. My dad would pray a prayer at dinner time: Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, who eats the fastest gets the most. We, we often hear these terms, these names, these titles used or thrown around, but sometimes we fail to stop and think about who we're really talking about. We know a lot about the Father, or we think we do. <laughs> we know about God the Father. We know a little bit about Jesus the Son, and we know a little bit about the Holy Spirit. And I tell you, all three of those, all three of those persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, make up this entity that we worship called God, called the Godhead. Do you know that, that the Holy Spirit is just as important as Jesus and as the Father? I, I this morning, have referred to the Holy Spirit as He. I think that's intentional. I, I understand that there are a lot of uh, questions in the world right now regarding pronouns and how people use them. I call the Holy Spirit a he not because that's what he prefers, but to, to help you to understand that he's a person, not a thing. A lot of people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. As though, uh, you know, and you, you, even, you even see it in some of our more modern scriptural translations. We'll, we'll talk about the Holy Spirit and, and even some of the modern translations will use the word it instead of the word him. The problem is you can't have a relationship with an it. Right? You can't. You can't have a relationship with a thing. And if you do, you need help. Okay? 
you got a great relationship with your boat, you need deliverance. Or your television or your whatever. Now, you can't have a relationship with an it because an it can't love you back. A thing will never, will never be able to captivate you the way a person can. How, how, dis, how, uh, how rude would it be to refer to one another as things instead of as people? If my lovely wife walked in the room and I looked at her and I was like, here's Brienne. It really looks beautiful today. Wouldn't that be terrible? Wouldn't that be so disrespectful? But we do it to the Holy Spirit all the time. Oh, the Holy Spirit showed up at church. It was awesome. It moved. I, I felt the Spirit move. Can you feel it? He's not an it. He's a him. He's a person. He has a desire. He has a will. He has intentions for your life. The Holy Spirit is not a substance. He's a person. So let me ask you this question. Why did the Holy Spirit come to earth? Why? Now, there's a bazillion reasons, so there's a lot. There's a big, long answer. But I want to focus, for the sake of today's message and for the sake of this series, on, on a couple different reasons, two, two specific reasons why the Holy Spirit came. In these two verses, we learn that the Holy Spirit came to extend the ministry of Jesus to cover the earth by empowering the body of Christ. For those taking notes, this is an important one. I'm going to repeat it for you. In these two verses, we learn that the Holy Spirit came to extend the ministry, elongate, lengthen, continue the ministry of Jesus Christ to cover the earth. How did he do it? By empowering the body of Christ. Jesus said something very peculiar before he left this planet. He said, it's better that I go. It's better that I leave. Just before he, just before he got to the cross, he said this to his disciples. Can you imagine hearing these words from Jesus? It's better that I go. What do you mean, Lord? It's better that you stay. Seriously, Lord, please don't go anywhere. We like you. We love your ministry. We're big fans. Don't go anywhere. But Jesus said, it's better that I go. Why? Why was it better that he left? Because in order for him to fulfill his ministry and his mission, die on the cross, but, you know, spend three days in hell, raise from the grave, and, and, and create for us a way to get to God, to, to, to fully accomplish the plan of salvation. In order for him to do that, he had to do it here and then go back to heaven. And he said, it's better that I do that. I, I'm here on a mission. I'm here on purpose. It's better that I do that and then I go back and be with my father so that... You can become a candidate for the Holy Spirit to come because when the Holy Spirit comes, what I began with me will extend to you and through you will extend to cover the entire earth and my plan can be lengthened and extended to cover the entire world. Jesus, do you remember what the angel Gabriel said to Mary? when he visited her before she had Jesus. I'm trying to build a case here for you, by the way. What did, what did, what did, what did Gabriel say to Mary? 
He said that Jesus would be called Emmanuel, God. Very good class. Very good. God with us. See, Jesus was just one man. He still is, by the way. He's alive. Hallelujah. I don't like talking about Jesus in the past tense, like he's not alive anymore. Jesus is just one man. And the Bible records in the book of Luke, many chapters earlier, how he was baptized in the River Jordan by John the Baptist, and the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him in the form of a dove and rested upon him. Jesus did everything in his ministry as one guy with the Holy Spirit on him. Jesus single-handedly turned that part of the world upside down in three years, empowered by the Holy Spirit. But the problem with that model is that it was limited to just Jesus. Limited to just one person. That's why he says, it's better that I go. It was great to have God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God dwelling amongst the people. But do you know what's better than God with us? God in us and God on us. You see, Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit is God in us and God on us. Takes everything to the next level. I like what one preacher says. He says, God is in me for me, but he's on me everybody around me. God is in me for me. The Holy Spirit, he's come to live inside of my heart and he is in me to, oh, for so many things that he wants to do in me. He's in me for me, but he's on me for you. He's on me for my neighbor. He's on me for my coworker. He's on me for my, for my family member. He's on me for the man, the woman, the child that's hurting. He's on me to accomplish a purpose. Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit is both God in us and God on us. Can we say that out loud? Can we say, the Holy Spirit is God in me and God on me. Feels good to say, doesn't it? No wonder Jesus said, it's better that I go. The Gospels show us two distinct experiences that the early church had with the Holy Spirit. The Gospels show us two distinct experiences that the, that the early church had with the Holy Spirit. I want to read the first one to you. This first one comes from John chapter 20. You can turn there. John chapter 20. This first encounter or experience with the Holy Spirit is the salvation of the disciples. If you've ever wondered, when did Peter get saved? When did John get saved? When did Bartholomew get saved? When did Matthew get saved? This is the moment when they got saved. This is the moment when they gave their hearts to Jesus and the Holy Spirit entered into their lives and they were born again. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 19. I'm reading in the New Living Translation. Abigail's taking good notes this morning. Good job, babe. John chapter 20, 19 in the New Living Translation said, Then Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of Jewish leaders. 
Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Wow. Imagine being in a locked room with a handful of your closest friends, and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up. Didn't use a door, didn't use a window, just poof, there he is. They freaked out. (laughs) So much so that Jesus had to say, peace be with you. Guys, settle down. It's me. I can do cool stuff now. I'm risen from the dead. No, he, he's, he's, he did. I believe he calmed them down. I believe, that it, I believe that it startled them. He said, peace be with you. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Now they start getting excited. And again, he has to say, peace be with you. First he said peace because he had to calm them down. Now he said peace be with you because they're just so pumped. And he's like, guys, settle down. I got something I want to tell you. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Spirit. This is the moment when the disciples were born again. Jesus had waited like 6,000 years for the Holy Spirit to live in people again. Do you remember in Genesis how the Bible says in, in the second chapter of Genesis when God creates man? How the Bible says he formed man out of the dust of the ground and he breathed into him and man became a living being. Isn't it interesting that when God created Adam, he breathed into him. And now, thousands of years later, as the curse of sin has been broken on the cross, as Jesus who has resurrected from the grave appears to his disciples, and the first thing he wants to do is breathe on them and say, receive the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? This was the first experience that these disciples had where the Holy Spirit actually came in and filled them. This was God in us. But what about God on us. Remember I said that Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. The Holy Spirit is both God in us and God on us. So this verse that we just read is the first time the Holy Spirit ever came into someone's life and filled anyone up. And so this is a perfect picture of God in us. But what about God on us? Go back to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24, again. Verse 49. He says, behold, I send the promise of my father. Where? It's not a trick question. Just read the words. Upon you. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, you all tensed up. Like, what is he talking about? Oh, no, no, I'm still turning. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father. 
God the Father has promised that you and I would have the Holy Spirit living both in us and dwelling on us. Jesus, in this verse, prepared the disciples for an additional experience beyond just their salvation with the third member of the Trinity called the Holy Spirit who would come to give them power that they would need to go into all the world and preach. The first experience they had was in John chapter 20 where the Holy Spirit came and dwelt in them. But Jesus was preparing them in this verse and again in Acts chapter 1 for an additional experience subsequent to their salvation beyond what they had already experienced where the Holy Spirit would literally come upon them and by him coming upon them, they would receive something called power to actually go out and do the ministry that Jesus had called for them to do. I love the fact that Jesus starts this scripture by saying, I'm sending the promise of my Father. The Holy Spirit is who God promised to live in you and to dwell on you. My friend, Pastor Josh Pennington, very dear friend of mine, he said this, and I, I wrote it down because I think it's just so good. In fact, it's one of the best ways I've ever heard anyone say this concept. He says that the saving work of the Holy Spirit, the salvation part, the God in you part, the saving work of the Holy Spirit is a gift from God to the sinner. The empowering work of the Holy Spirit, the God on you part, is a gift from God to the Christian. Wow. Isn't that amazing? The saving part of the Holy Spirit, when, when he comes to live in me, that is a gift to every single human being on planet earth if they'll only receive it. God wants to live in you, man. God wants to make his home in you. The Holy Spirit is desiring, he's hungry to live in and abide in every single person. There's not one person on planet earth that's excluded from the invitation to receive the promise of the Father. That is a gift from God to every man, woman, and child. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that's a gift to the Christian. That's a gift to the one who's put their trust in Jesus, who says, you know what, Lord? I'm hungry for more of you. I desire more of you. I want to live, live the life you've called me to live. I want to live free from sin. I want to be empowered by the, by the Spirit of God. I want to live and do the things you've called me to do. He says, behold, I send the promise of the Father upon you. There it is again. God on us. I want you to understand that when we talk about the Holy Spirit abiding on us and his presence being on us and his power coming on us, I want you to understand that when we talk about that, we're not talking about something spooky that is the creation of man. We're talking about God's destined plan for the body of Christ. Jesus himself wants you to be clothed with power from on high when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Glory be to God. Because here's the deal. What he's called us to do is impossible without his power. Oh, we talk big vision, don't we? We sure do, especially this year, man. 
We've been talking big vision. Hope for transformation. <laughs> Hope for strong families. You're not going to have a strong family without the power of God. Not what Jesus thinks is strong anyways. We want to transform this city. Okay. It's impossible without the power of God on us. He's called us to great things. He says, wait in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. How many of you have used the word endued in the last seven to ten days? Thank you. Nobody. Thank you. <laughs> That's a word that we don't use. But I went and did a little digging and I found out what it meant in the Greek. You ready for this? The word endued in the Greek means this literally. This is directly quoted from Strong's Concordance. The word endued means to sink into a garment of clothing. Sink into a garment of clothing. Most of you have never seen my favorite sweater. Most of you never will. I was gifted some years ago. Don't know where it came from. A sweater that's blue and gray. And it's one of those thick, chunky, woven sweaters. And it's my favorite sweater. And right about mid-October, when I just want to sit out on the back porch until it's dark and it gets a little too cold to do that in a t-shirt, I reach for my favorite sweater. And what happens when I put my favorite sweater on is it's like being dunked in hot chocolate. It's just, it's, it's just the most glorious feeling. This sweater envelops me. As soon as I read the definition for the word endued with power, sinking into clothing, I thought of my favorite sweater. I like to sit in my favorite sweater and drink tea or drink hot cocoa and sit in front of the fire. And, 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 and all winter long, it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger until my wife's like, I need to wash that thing, please. <laughs> Y'all know how sweaters tend to grow when you wear them a lot. I'll wear it in the morning. I'll wear it to bed. I, I love this stinking sweater. Why? I feel so at home in this thing. It comforts me. It surrounds me. I sink into it. I'm wearing it, but some days I feel like it owns me. Jesus said that was the relationship he wanted us to have with the power of God. Hey, look up here. What? Most of us are just out here trying to control our temper. Most of us are just out here trying not to argue with our spouse, trying to get ticked off when the line at Chick-fil-A is too long. Jesus said his desire for us was that we would literally sink into the power of God, that we would be totally and completely enveloped and at home in the power of God. Wow. What's the word power mean? It's the word dunamis. Some of you have probably heard that before, dunamis. It means literally force, especially miraculous power, ability, might, strength, mighty, wonderful work. So get this with me. Jesus says, guys, I want you to go and change the world. Disciples, fellas, I'm back from the grave. Check it out. 
Touch my finger. Touch my, you know, put your finger in my, in my hand. Touch my side. See, I'm really alive. I did it. I'm back from the dead. I did everything that I said I was going to do. And now it's your turn to take everything I did and extend that to the whole world. But hold on. Don't go anywhere yet. Did you ever do that with your kids? Just get them, you know, just get them primed and ready to go run a race or, or play hide and seek or something. You go, time out, time out, wait. The disciples are on the edge of their seat and he says, you can't go into all the world yet. Why, Jesus? The promise of the Father has to come. I got to get out of here. And when I get to heaven, I'm going to tag your it to the Holy Spirit and he's going to come down and he's going to blanket you and you're going to sink into him and become at home in his power. And when that happens, now you get to go out and change the world, guys. Now you get to go. The power of God, we see it demonstrated all through the remainder of the book of Acts. Why? Because the Holy Spirit had come and rested on the church, and now they were empowered to do the things that Jesus was doing. God's desire is for us to have the Holy Spirit upon us so that we can sink into his wonderful work. I, I just loved that definition of the power of God. I copied those things straight out of the Bible dictionary. Ability, strength, miracle-working power, you know, just superior strength and wonderful, mighty work. Jesus is saying to his disciples, tarry in Jerusalem, stay in Jerusalem until you get sunk into the Holy Spirit. He brings you wonderful, mighty power. These two verses, Acts 1-8, we can read that one more time. I want you to see the consistency and the continuity in what Jesus is saying here. Y'all with me still? You got a few more minutes? Acts chapter 1, verse 8, he says it again, but he says it a little differently. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. Same Greek word. Same exact Greek words for power. Same exact Greek words for come upon you. This is God on us, man. He said, you're going to receive, not you're going to have to work for it. <laughs> and he doesn't say maybe. I like how he starts it out with a definite. You shall receive power. Not when the Holy, Holy Spirit comes, some of you are going to get something. Others of you are going to maybe get a little less. Uh, you know, the Lord, he's, uh, you know, he's pretty partial to, to you and, and how perfect you are. So the ones who have been really, really good, they're going to get more power. And the ones who have been, you know, Rocky, Peter, mm, you denied me, buddy. Sorry. I'll give you a teaspoon. John the Beloved, he leaned on my breast at dinner time, so he's getting like two gallons. No, there was no, there was equal distribution of his power upon his people. He said, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why, Jesus? So you can be my witnesses. So you can take what you've seen from me and bring it and demonstrate it to the world around you. I love that he mentions it more than once. I have to imagine, it's recorded twice like this in scripture, I have to imagine that he probably had this kind of conversation with them a lot before he left. These, Acts chapter 1 verse 8, this is quite literally the last phrase out of Jesus' mouth. These are the last words that he says before he leaves. If you keep reading it, you, you see that an angel appears. They're all looking up because Jesus, he says, go, you know, to Samaria, to the uttermost parts of the earth, and then he starts to ascend into heaven. And they're all like, where's Jesus going? He's floating away. 
And then all of a sudden they look around and there's an angel and he says, why are you staring into the heavens, man? The, Jesus, the one that he just left, the same way he's going to return, it's time, go. Now, in the last couple minutes, I want to address a couple things. There are, there are some blessed, beloved Christians in the body of Christ who don't believe that what I'm talking to you about is applicable for us today. And I say that with reverence because they're my brothers and my sisters. There's people in our world who don't believe that the Holy Spirit is poured out in us the same way he was poured out then. And I don't believe that. They believe that the empowering of the Holy Spirit ceased with the last apostles. And that, if you want a theological term for that, it's the word cessationism or cessationist. They believe that the power of God manifesting this way ceased with the last apostles. Hence the title cessationism. I don't believe that that's true. I truly don't. And, and over the next several weeks, I'll share with you little tips about why I think that that's not true. I think there's ample proof in the Bible. Why we, can, why we can be confident that the same way that the Holy Spirit was poured out among the disciples is the same way that he wants to be poured out upon us today. Amen? There's also, if, if, if cessationism is a, is a ditch on this side of the street, then the ditch on the other side of the street is you can't go to heaven unless you speak in tongues. Can I tell you, I don't believe either of those are true. I don't. I believe that you and I are going to receive everything that God has for us according to however much we want and desire to receive. You know what I know about the Holy Spirit? He's a powerful, powerful God. You know what else I know about the Holy Spirit? He's a gentleman. He's a perfect gentleman. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Joshua and the children of Israel that empowered them to walk around the city of Jericho and shout to the point that the earth opened up and swallowed the city walls. The same Holy Spirit that came upon Gideon so that he, with 300 men, destroyed the armies of hundreds of thousands of men. The same Holy Spirit that got in David's sling and caused him to kill the giant is the same powerful Holy Spirit that wants to live both in you and on you. But he's a perfect gentleman. Holy Spirit, my friend, is not going to kick your door in. Force himself upon you. He's a gentleman. He goes where he's desired. He goes where he's invited. Sometimes people get nervous when you talk about the Holy Spirit. And I want to take a minute to empathize with you. because I don't know every person's background. Maybe you were raised in a church where you believed that the Holy Spirit, if you didn't speak in tongues, you weren't going to heaven. So you better hurry up and speak in tongues even though you don't want to. 
How many of you have ever been in a, in a charismatic church where you felt some pressure? <laughs> yeah, come on. I've been there. Look, y'all, can I, just get, can I just be super real with you for a minute? I've been, I've seen every kind of church service you can see. Except for snake handling. I never did watch anybody handle any snakes. I never, was never invited to that church. But I'm telling you, man, I've seen it all. I've seen people roll on the floor. I've seen people run around. I've seen people dance and shout and flip and do cartwheels. I've seen flags be waved all over the place. I've seen people take the horn of a sheep that was hollow. It's called the shofar and blow into it and go, because they think that's super anointed. And maybe it was. I've seen it all. And I've been like you before where I've been pressured to do stuff. I was at a meeting one time with one of my dearest friends whom I love tremendously. And it actually, it was, just, it was just after we signed the lease on this building years ago, several years ago. And we were in a service, and boy, Frankie, you would have loved the worship. The worship was hot. Praise and worship team was cranking. And I was in the front row with my buddy. And he was just having a, a time. He was so filled with joy. And he leans over to me, and he's like, you know what? If I'd have just signed a lease on a building like you got, I'd get excited, and I'd run around this room. And because I was one of the invited guest ministers, I ran around the room. Do you know what happened after I ran around, out, around the room? I was out of breath. But I learned such a wonderful lesson that day. And it, listen, this is no shade on my buddy. I, t- I talked to him yesterday. I'll probably talk to him again later today. He's one of my best friends. I love him. But he was experiencing something that he wanted me to experience in the same degree, and so he put a little pressure on me to do it. But I learned that day that what I'm really after is whatever is authentically God. You see, some people, you, get, you start talking about the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming upon them, and they get nervous because of what they maybe saw or didn't see or heard or, you know. I could pass the microphone around to several people in this room and we could come up with a heck of a story of some of the wild things we've seen people do. But I was praying one time and I said, Lord, I, I, I want to talk to our church about the power of the Holy Spirit because it's so important and because I know firsthand how his power has forever transformed my life. Spirit has shaped who I am. He's shaped who my wife is, and he's shaping our children. He's the third person in the Trinity. He's, he's God. He wants to be in you, and some of you, he's happy in you, but he wants to be on you too. And I, I, there's times in my life as a pastor where I've gotten nervous to talk about the Holy Spirit because I'm like, Lord, I, I want to invite people to church, and I don't want them to be nervous. I remember, I remember one time, y'all got a few, you got a minute for a couple stories. I remember one time I was working at Tommy Hilfiger and I'd, I worked with this girl, her name was Keegan and she, I thought she was super cute was before I knew you. I was, I was working with this girl, Keegan 
and, and I, I just thought she was super cute. And I just worked up the courage over several weeks to invite her to church. Because I'm like, she's cute. If I want to date her, my parents are only going to let me date her if she's a Christian. How do I get her saved? Bring her to church. And I just remember, I was like, I had, it took me a while to work up the nerve because I was like, what's going to happen at church on Sunday? Is sister so-and-so going to, you know, hit me in the back of the head with a flag? Is the dance team going to do an inspirational, you know, number that nobody saw coming? Y'all know what I'm talking about. I was like, I want it, I want it. I want God to be real to people, but I don't want the Lord to weird people out. So I said to the Lord, I said, this was recently. Uh, well, let me finish the Keegan story. She came to church and our pastor was speaking in tongues that day and she got done and she goes, what language was he speaking? And my, my buddy Joe, Joe Koblenz, piped up and goes, German. <laughs> promise you, promise you. German. He was speaking German. Yeah, it was German. The <laughs> true story. I prayed not too long ago. I said, Lord, I, I want people to know your spirit in a powerful way. But I was like, Lord, I, I don't want people to get weirded out. Do you know what the Holy Spirit said to me so clearly? He said, son, my, he said, my spirit, I'm not weird. To people, people are weird. The flesh of people is weird. And there's sometimes, can I tell you something? I, I've seen it all, man. I've seen people shake. I've seen people, do, I, I've seen it all. I'm holding back from telling you some of the freakier things I've seen. Can I tell you that the power of the Holy Spirit is real? And sometimes people in their flesh, their flesh gets squirrely. Their flesh gets a little nervous and they don't know what to do because they're feeling God for the first time. And they're like, this is different. I don't know what to do. And if you're weird, you do weird things. But here's the thing. If you're nervous or you're concerned this morning that when you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that he's going to make you weird, he's not. Do you know what he's going to do? He's going to amplify the work that he's already begun to do in you. If you're a Christian who loves people, no matter where they've come from, no matter what their background is, and you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit, do you know what's going to happen? You're going to love people even more. If you're called to preach like I am and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? You're going to preach more and better. The Holy Spirit is going to take what God is doing in you and amplify it for his glory. So if you're normal, don't worry. The Holy Spirit's going to make me weird. You're already weird. There's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> nothing I can do for you. Go receive Jesus behind that curtain, okay? <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. My wife is a, is, has such a perfect testimony of this because she was raised in what I would consider a nominal Christian life. She, she you know, received Jesus as a young girl, but she didn't really live for the Lord until much later in her life. 
And one of the things that became the catalyst for her living for God and experiencing God was when she received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. She was at a dance camp. Camp or no? It was studio. She was at a dance studio when she was in college in Wilmington. And the studio, the people who ran the studio happened to be believers who were charismatic Pentecostal believers. And they prayed with her and she received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It turned her life around. It changed her. And it took time and, and, and it's developed over those years. But it was a catalyst for change in her life. And can I tell you something? If you've never met my wife, she's one of the most normal people you'll ever meet. She didn't simply get weird because God came. But can I tell you this? You want my wife praying for you. Why? she's received some power from on high. Can I tell you that when you have a need, you want Brianne Rose praying for you. Because when she prays, stuff happens. I've watched it so many times. We were, we were in Peru in 1999. It was my first missions trip I ever had. My sister and I prayed for a gentleman who was deaf. I put one finger in one of his ears. My sister put her finger in his other ear. We prayed and he immediately could hear. I bent on that same trip, in that same location, I bent down to pray for a man whose feet were filled with elephantitis and I could feel his feet under my hands shrink as I prayed as the power of God went to work in his life. Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you effective. I want to close with this. Y'all doing okay? Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. It filled the whole house where they were sitting. These are the same people, the same people that Jesus had talked to one chapter ago in Acts, the same people that he had talked to in Luke 24. They were sitting in this house and there appeared upon them tongues that were divided as of fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know, when Jesus had the Holy Spirit descend upon him, it looked like a dove. When Peter and the apostles and those in the upper room had the Holy Spirit descend on them, it looked like fire. Wow. Can you imagine being in the room and all of a sudden, you hear this sound. And all of a sudden, you look at your buddy Peter. And you're like, Pete, you're on fire, man. Holy Spirit that was living in them, finally, for the first time ever, Verse 37, if you jump way down. After this experience had happened, Peter got up to preach. 5,000 people got saved. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't make you weird. He makes you effective. Peter preached and 5,000 people got saved. And at the very end of his message, this is what they said to him in verse 37. It says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Meaning when they heard Peter's sermon, they were cut to the heart. And Peter, they said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Peter said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission or the removal of your sins. 
and second, secondly, subsequent, in addition to being saved. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. For this promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off and as many as the Lord our God will call. Why do I believe that the Holy Spirit is for today? Because of verses like that. Every single one of us was designed to experience this power from above. I've gone way over my time this morning, y'all. But I believe that the Lord's moving. Would you stand to your feet with me for a moment? Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.